0: Have you ever wondered how your tax dollars are spent or why the American tax code is filled with loopholes and special interest provisions that primarily benefit tax lawyers, accountants, and huge corporations? With Tax Day fast approaching, it's this coming Tuesday. We thought it would be a good time to talk about taxes on today's Please Explain. And we're talking with T.R. Reid, a best-selling author, longtime correspondent for The Washington Post, its former chief of the, its Tokyo and London bureaus. His latest book is A Fine Mess, a global quest for a simpler, fairer, and more efficient t- tax system, a look at why our tax system is so needlessly complicated and where our hard-earned dollars go. It's published by Penguin Press, and I'm very pleased that T.R. Reed could join us for today's Please Explain. Welcome back to our show. It's been a while.
1: Leonard, great to be back. I love your show. God, it was great to hear Coltrane just now.
0: And we, uh, by the way, we invite our listeners to join the conversation at 212-433-9692. If you have questions about taxes or the tax code, give us a call. Or you can write to us on a show page at WNYC.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. So, T.O., when did Americans start paying a federal tax?
1: Well, we had an income tax for like three years to pay for the Civil War in the 1860s, and then they killed it and then in the late 19th century taxes were largely property taxes and import taxes so farmers paid them and really rich people didn't pay much so in 1913 we established the federal income tax this is the tax we love to hate today but it was incredibly popular because at first it was only paid by the rockefellers the vanderbilts and the Astors. it was aimed at the super rich and a very popular tax and then to pay for the two world wars that high-class tax became a mass tax. Everybody had to pay.
0: What happened to the tax code between 1913 and today to the point where we now have 73,000 pages of IRS regulations?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I asked the Commissioner of Internal Revenue if anybody at the IRS has read the whole tax code, and he laughed at me. No, nobody could read it all. Uh, What happened is uh, lobbyists and corporations and lawyers started – making inroads and saying well my particular client really needs this particular break there's always a justification you know it's always done supposed to do good for something and then it gets so complex and so complicated and so difficult to file that every three decades or so they throw out the code and rewrite it they did that in 1954 they did that again in 1986 and that's a 32-year period. And guess what? The 32-year period is up in 2018, and our current code is such a monster that really the only thing we can do is scrap it and start over. That's what my book says.
0: Well, then, uh, where we go after we scrap it is going to be the big political issue of the next few years. But why 32 years?
1: Why does it happen that way? It just has happened. I mean, if you believe that history repeats itself, The tax, the income tax started in 1913. They got around to a big revision in 1922. And then 1954, 1986. I think it's not a coincidence. I think it takes about 30 years for the thing to get so complicated and so full of exemptions and loopholes and allowances and credits that the only thing you can do is get rid of them all. And if you do that, well, then... People lose some deduction that they really like, but in return, you get lower rates and a simpler code, and that political trade-off has worked three times in American history.
0: President Trump has promised a, quote, phenomenal tax reform. Do we have any idea of what that might entail?
1: Well, he had at least four different tax plans during his uh, campaign. I think what it's almost certainly going to include a lower corporate tax rate, and that makes sense. Uh, the American corporate tax rate is higher than almost any other country, so that's a competitive disadvantage for our companies. And they want to get the, – the leaders say they want to get rates down for individuals too. Well, there's a way to do that. The way to do that is get rid of all sorts of exemptions and credits and deductions And then you can raise the same amount of money with simpler rates and a much simpler code.
0: In fact, you say that the America's tax system is like an old inner tube that has been patched a dozen times but still leaks. As a candidate, uh, Donald Trump said the United States is the highest tax country in the world. Was that one of those alternative facts?
1: That's an alternative fact, Leonard, yeah. Um, there's a standard measure of overall tax burden on a country. And the IMF does it, figures it out, the International Monetary Fund. So here's what you do. You add up all the federal, state, and local taxes in the whole country and take that total as a percentage of GDP, of total wealth. By that standard measure, the U.S. is a low-tax country. Of the 35 richest countries, we rank 32nd. Mexico, Chile, and South Korea have lower tax burdens, but all the countries, Eastern Europe, Japan, Canada, they all have higher – pay higher taxes than we do.
0: I'm speaking with T.R. Reid, who has written a book called A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. It's published by Penguin Press, and we're talking to him on today's Please Explain This is dot org. I'm Lennon Lopate. You discussed tax credits like the Extension Act of 2008, which essentially subsidizes wealthy Americans and car companies. What was the purpose of that act?
1: (laughs) I think that one's really nutty. I mean, suppose somebody, some president said to Congress, here's a good idea. Let's have the Treasury send a check for $7,500 dollars to anybody who buys a $138,000 BMW hybrid, we'd never pass that, but it's in the tax code. So the argument for it was, well, we want to encourage people to buy hybrid cars, even expensive ones, so we use less gas. Well, that might make sense, except there's also a tax credit for buying a recreational vehicle, which uses more gas. So. There's really no rhyme or reason to these.
0: And you found that in 2016, the IRS estimated that this tax credit reduced revenues by $740 million. Would that money have gone to the Treasury if the credit didn't exist?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's money we could use to treat wounded veterans or cut the deficit or, you know, strengthen the border if you want to do that. And instead, we give it as a subsidy to people who buy a $105,000 Tesla. So is really the not necessary.
0: is the impact of a tax credit the same as a spending bill?
1: Yes, uh, the, the economists refer to this as tax expenditures. Um, that seven hundred forty million dollars is money that would have come into the treasury if we hadn't uh, <clears throat> made it a tax credit for people who buy expensive cars. So yeah, it works just like a tax expen- like like a spending bill. But because it's called a tax cut, everybody likes it. In fact, the impact is the same as passing a bill saying we're going to give you $7,500.
0: Well, I can see arguments made for uh, encouraging people to buy hybrids or electric cars. And and aren't there tax incentives that serve very useful purposes, like um, the Roth IRAs are generally not taxed if certain conditions are met?
1: Yeah, I think that that system... Almost all countries try to encourage people to save money for retirement, and if you give some kind of tax benefit, we're not going to tax the gain, we're not going to tax the interest. That does encourage it. Uh, So that one makes a lot of sense. Every deduction that's been put into the code, whatever lobbyist argued for it had a good argument for it, believe me. But as a matter of fact, many of them don't serve their purpose. Well, For example... Uh, the most popular one is the deduction for a mortgage interest, right? Hmm. Um, and that's supposed to encourage home ownership, which is a good thing.
0: On the other hand, Aaron, Guess so, what? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, that one costs $103 billion that we could use for other purposes. And it doesn't enhance home ownership, It doesn't serve its purpose. And the reason we know this is many other rich democracies have gotten rid of the mortgage interest deduction, and as a matter of fact, they have higher rates of home ownership than the United States. If you ask an economist, they say all that thing does is raise the price of the home you're eventually going to buy. So we'd have to have a transition plan and phase it out for people who are getting it now. But if we got rid of it, I mean, international experience shows it wouldn't have any impact on home ownership.
0: Aren't Social Security payments taxed? Why wouldn't they get some kind of a tax credit? The elderly, who in many cases have to live off of their Social Security and little else.
1: Well, if you're living off your Social Security, nothing else, you won't pay tax. You'd be under the uh, under the point where taxes start, and you do get even even the richest people get some write off. They they eliminate some of the Social Security tax. Now we shouldn't tax away money, the Social Security payments that is a, a elderly person's only income, and we don't tax that. Social Security taxes are paid by people who have an additional $150,000 of income from their investments, and then they pay tax.
0: You found that in 2014, the total of tax preferences, exemptions, or exclusions came to $1.17 trillion, far more than the cost of any single government program. To, to compare, Social Security was $845 billion. Medicare was $807 billion. Defense, including Afghanistan, was $696 billion. Uh, civilian departments and agencies were $582 billion. Are we spending more on tax exemptions than on any other government program? Yeah, tax
1: expenditures are the biggest uh, cost in the budget. And, of course, we don't call them a cost because there's a tax break. But... We give hundreds of them, Leonard. You can get a tax break for taking a night school course, paying your property tax, growing sugarcane, replanting a forest, insulating the attic, destroying old farm equipment, employing Native Americans, commuting to work by bicycle, or, as I said, buying a $105,000 Tesla hybrid. Uh, we, We just have hundreds of them in there. They cost a lot of money. And, you know, if you looked at them specifically individually, many of them would be very hard to justify.
0: But when we are hearing about projected cuts, uh, they are mostly in a wide range range of domestic programs, agencies that fund the arts, humanities, public media which represent only a small fraction of federal spending. And then there's the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which received $445 million in federal funding in the last fiscal year. The NEA and the NEH got about $148 million each. That's a tiny portion of the roughly $4 trillion federal budget. Uh, and uh, I read somewhere that each taxpayer pays something like, what is it, $1. 85 or so to fund all of them?
1: yeah exactly right and uh it, as you say, any of those grants to arts institutions radio public radio public t v is smaller than the amount we lose through these tax credits, mainly most of which go to really rich taxpayers so if we cut down on those and or just demand it that they make sense then the extra revenue would be there to pay for public tv.
0: You write that many economists agree on the key to an effective tax code. It's called BBLR. What's that?
1: BBLR, that is the formula. It means broaden the base and you can lower the rates. Broaden the base that means you count everything as income. You know, if your employer pays your uh, health insurance premium, well, that should be counted as income that's taxable in in many countries if your employer gives you free parking, they say, well, that would have cost you 20 bucks a month. We're going to tax you on that. And then you don't have any deductions or exemptions. If you do that, if you get a really broad base, then you can bring the rates way down. In Our top rate for the richest people is 39.6% in New Zealand. The top rate is less than half. It's 17%. And they bring in more per capita than we do because they broaden the base. And if you do that... Then you don't have to fill out all these different forms for every exemption and credit. It just makes the whole system simpler.
0: Wasn't there an attempt to, to do the BBLR in 1986? What happened?
1: We did it, yes. That was the, the most respected tax reform in American history. You remember, I, as we said... We reformed the tax code in 22, 54, and 86 every 32 years for some reason. And the 86 one, that's what they did. They knocked out all sorts of deductions and credits and exemptions and brought the rates way down. The top rate in for the income tax went from 70% to 28%. And they brought in just as much revenue because they got rid of all those exemptions and credit that used to be You could write off the interest on your car loan. You could write off the interest on your credit card loan. And we eliminated that in 86 and got a simpler code and lower rates. And my book says other countries have done this. We ought to do it too.
0: Well, we did it in 86. What happened?
1: Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, revenues went up. Uh, We didn't lose any revenue. And then here's what happened. The lobbyists came in one by one and went to their favorite members of Congress, and gradually almost all those giveaways and loopholes got stuck back into the code. And you know, they kind of do it anonymously. They don't say this is a giveaway for General Motors or for Citibank. They say, here's a credit for a company that was incorporated in Delaware on October sixteenth, 1913. Well, you know, that's General Motors. They just never say so. So they all got back in there. And then to raise the amount of revenue you need, they had to raise the rate. So the rate went back up. The top rate is now 39.6%.
0: I'm speaking with T.R. long longtime Washington Post reporter, His latest book is called A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. It's published by Penguin Press. And we will continue our conversation after we take a break. And remember, we invite your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Next Thursday, April 20th, beginning at noon, we'll be broadcasting live on stage at the Green Space, and we're sure you're going to want to be there because we have put together an amazing lineup of guests that include Patty LuPone, Christine Ebersole, Kelly O'Hara, Bill Irwin, Anthony Bourdain, Jeremiah Tower. I'm sure you don't want to miss this show, so if you want more information, visit our show page at wmyc.org slash or if you want to buy tickets, go to WMYC.org thegreenspace. And we are back with T.R. Reid, whose latest book is the subject of today's Please Explain. It's called A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. It's published by Penguin Press. You have an op-ed piece in today's New York Times that deals with the power of the tax prep industry.
1: Exactly. Yeah, they are very powerful lobbyists.
0: Last year, Americans spent over 6 billion hours and $12 billion filing their taxes. And you found that in the Netherlands, it takes about 15 minutes. And in Britain and Japan, the average is five minutes. Don't they all have higher taxes?
1: Yeah, they all collect more tax but they've made it simple. It's only the United States that made it that's made it this hard. And you know, in, in, in April we ought to be out playing golf or at the kids' soccer game instead of slaving over these tax returns. In the other countries it's fast because the government already knows all the numbers and they fill in the form for you and then you get their form and check and see if the numbers are right. In Japan, they send you postcards and says, here's what we think you owe, and it's almost always right. So people file it away, and they take the money out of your bank, and things are done. No tax return. And guess what, Leonard? The IRS could do that for many millions of American families already.
0: But uh, when attempts have been made in Congress to simplify the, the process, hasn't HRR block and uh, some other uh, companies, software companies, fought hard against it?
1: Yes, they uh, they report their lobbying expenses, and they H uh, and R Block other tax preparation forms into it. The firm that makes the tax software TurboTax, they have spent millions lobbying against these bills. They call it government competition because uh, the basic idea is you do all the work and they make more money. Uh, the IRS could do this for everybody. It would be simpler for us. It would be more accurate because, you know, one of the millions of people every year enter the right number on the wrong line on one of those forms, and then you get a letter from the IRS, you go back and forth. That could all be eliminated, and in most countries it is because the government does
0: the work for you. But doesn't if they do the work for you, they don't know how much money you've given to charities and, and uh, nonprofits. So uh, would you eliminate that as well? Uh,
1: Well, most Americans who give to charity take the standard deduction and the IRS knows what the standard deduction is for you and your family. Uh, Only about a third of taxpayers itemize their deductions and list their contributions. In Britain, you can write off contributions, and the system there is when you make a contribution, the charity reports it to the government. So the tax code, the tax department knows that you made this contribution. That gives, you, that gives them a check to make sure the contribution was made, and it makes it easy. You don't have to fill out a form because it's all done for you.
0: We have a lot of people calling in. I'm going to try, try to take some of those calls. Claire from Monmouth County, you're on the air.
2: Hi, can you hear me yes Claire okay so I have a question about the about the earned income tax credit um Mm -hmm. I'm a divorced mother of five thankfully three of my children are out of college with jobs um one of I claimed um but two of them were in college last year and so um I mean it's my understanding that it's about the earned income tax credit is about having kids in college so I, 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 received it for one child last year, even though last year I had three kids in college. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, no, only yeah. two. <laughs> um, well, but it th- happens so I had it my taxes, sense. um, they were, um, they do like, I'm <laughs> divorced and don't have much money these days, unfortunately. Yeah. Used to have a different life, but, um, anyway, um. So I've got them done for free, but I think they may be AARP volunteers, like at the local library. And yeah, right, so yeah. I I questioned it, but he didn't seem to, you know, he said, well, you know, I put the right birthdays in, and, and it's telling you you're not eligible this year. Does that make sense?
1: The rules are incredibly complicated, but if you got it last year, the rules haven't changed, so no, that doesn't make sense. You ought to get the earned income tax credit for the same under the same circumstances that you got it last year because the rules didn't change. This is a problem with our tax code. Everything is complicated, and uh, tax credit for low-income families is one of the most complicated parts of it. Um, as a, as a, if you if you're relatively low income and have two kids in college, you ought to get that. Help and ask somebody else for help.
0: Now, hasn't it been suggested that the Earned Income Tax Credit will be eliminated under the new Trump proposals?
1: Yeah, that's certainly one of the ideas floating around, and it it does cost some money. Um, You know, we need to help people who are trying to pay for education to move up in the world and. The earned income, doing it through the tax code is our way. It's a complicated way. It might be better to do it through some other federal agency, but that's how we do it now. And uh, then you get problems like Claire has. It's so complicated to fill out the forms and figure out what you get that many people who ought to get this help don't get it.
0: A lot of, uh, over the years, we've heard a number of people uh, running for president who have, Proposed flax, flat tax. Uh, flat tax is uh, the most recent one. Ted Cruz, uh, especially. Uh, you found that it uh, that it is in a, at least a half a, a dozen countries uh, who've tried, or at least a dozen countries have tried it. Has it succeeded?
1: Uh, only for for a brief while. Uh, what my book points out is any idea that people have had, left or right, to fix our tax code. Some country has tried it, and you're right, the flat rate tax that Republicans often promote was tried in about 12 Eastern European countries after they left the Soviet Union. And here's what we found. For the first seven or eight years, these countries had no investment capital. Just about everybody was poor. And for five or six years, it worked pretty well. They did get more investments. And then once the economy turned down in 2008, they just couldn't raise enough money. So most of the flat tax countries have had to give it up and go back to graduated taxes. In any case, it's really not right for a country like ours with such a big disparity of income. We need the graduated rates. We've always had them to even out inequality.
0: Didn't uh, do we have a boom economy after World War II when we had much higher tax rates for the wealthy?
1: yeah top tax rate in nineteen fifties was ninety percent
0: well did anybody pay ninety percent
1: Well, Ronald Reagan says he did you know he was a one percenter he was a movie star in the fifties and in his in his memoir he says a he paid paid at ninety percent and b he stopped making movies about October of every year because he was only going to get ten percent of the money that he earned for it. I'm not sure that's right, but that's what Reagan said. Yeah, people did pay, and yet the economy boomed. It was one of the most uh, successful economic uh, decades in our whole history.
0: So why did we abandon that? Thing,
1: uh, then we started cutting the rates back, and uh, there's some sense. I, I like the idea of lower rates. It just makes things simpler, and um, you, you just people are more likely to comply. We rely on voluntary compliance. And the lower the rates, all economists see this, the more people are willing to pay the tax they owe. But gradually the tax was cut. And then in the 1990s, because of federal deficits, two presidents, first Bush and then Clinton, raised the tax rate. And guess what? The 1990s was one of the biggest economic booms the United States has ever seen. So The idea that raising rates stifles the economy, it has not been borne out in American history.
0: The trickle-down theory doesn't work?
1: Well, that's the other one. The argument is if you cut rates, you'll get more revenue and everybody will do better. It sounds great, doesn't it? Something for nothing. Unfortunately, it's never worked. You know, George W. Bush gave us the two biggest tax cuts in American history. He said it would create 25 million new jobs. In fact, revenues went down, and four years later, we entered the worst recession in 75 years. So the idea that you can cut tax rates and bring in more revenue, a beautiful idea, it would be great if it worked. Unfortunately, it doesn't.
0: Annie from Port Washington, you're on the air.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I live on Long Island, but I have a, an apartment in New York City, which I rarely use. My husband works in New York City more than half the year. Um, and just because he has access to a place to stay in New York City, we have to pay a residency tax. Seems like that's a, a tax that we're paying based on something that's theoretical, not on something that's, that's actually reality. So I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, well, that's New York City getting what it can from people who have a second home. They do that, I think, to all second homeowners in New York, regardless of how long you stay there. Your, <laughs> your complaint is with Mayor Bill and the city council. And uh, But isn't the, argument that that,
0: win that one. isn't the argument that people come here, they take the money, they get their money, and then they take it out of the community, money that they earned in the community? Don't they have some responsibility for supporting the city?
1: That would be the city council's argument. Yeah, that's why they tax that. And the other thing is many of the people who keep a pied-à-terre in New York City can afford the tax. So why not tax people who can afford to pay? I think that's their thinking.
0: Let's take another call. Michael from Queens, you're on the air.
3: Hi, how are you guys doing? I was listening to what you were talking about, especially the last caller. And I took a graduate course in 2009 on finance and discovered uh, about quantitative easing and how that helped us get out of the last recession. And I'm a tax to spend liberal, but the more I think about the way the modern banking system is, the fact that we're thinking about things like universal income, we are basically in a getting moving towards a non-cash economy where everything is just moving between accounts. I'm starting to wonder, maybe we should just rethink everything and say, why do we tax Anyway, since all money is in the banks, and all the banks' money is basically in the Federal Reserve System. I mean, every time a bank gets over $150,000, a truck comes from the Fed, takes the extra cash to the local Fed office. So since all the money is there anyway, why don't we rethink it? We, we're Basically, we want to regulate uh, con- you know, what we consume. So okay,
0: Michael, we're almost out of time. I want to get an answer. That's my
3: question. That's my question. Is, should we just rethink everything entirely?
0: Yeah, should we go to a VAT like yeah, they do fair. in Europe?
3: Well, I think we should have a value-added tax. That's a good tax.
1: It doesn't tax labor and investment. It taxes consumption. It's a hard tax to evade. We ought to have that. Eventually we will. He's talking about taxing bank accounts. And you know what, Leonard? Some countries have done that. When Greece got in bad trouble, big trouble, they said anybody who's got more than, it was about $120,000 in the bank, we're just going to take 4% of it. Uh, it's it's that's a pretty draconian way to raise money. Uh, the income tax is probably better. It just ought to be made simpler so that Americans wouldn't have to spend hours in April getting the dumb thing done.
0: A listener wonders if we were to do away with tax benefits for supporting certain groups, charities, and the like, wouldn't that do away with an incentive to make that donation?
1: Well, I'd say no. And the reason I say that is many countries have gotten rid of the charitable deduction, and there's a standard pattern. For about one or two years, deductions stay the same or drop, and then they go back up again at the rate of income increase. People give money because they want to help others. It's not for the tax deduction. And as a matter of fact, most of the people in America who give money, you put money in the plate at church, or you, you you give some money to the football team at the annual dinner, Uh, they itemize deductions. They don't get that deduction anyway. So, uh, no, I I think history has, uh, experience around the world has shown when you cut that deduction, people still give money. Corporations give money because they want to help their community and because they want their name on the new library. I mean, if you said to XYZ Corp, you can either have your name on the library you're building or you can get a tax deduction, they'd take the name every time. So, I think we don't need the charitable deduction to encourage Americans to give to charities. We're very good
0: at doing that. T.R., we have very little time left, but I was wondering what is, what history tells us about the ideal tax codes for stimulating an economy. Has there been any ideal tax code?
1: Yeah, well, there are now. I mean, when I asked the World Bank, they sent me to New Zealand and Australia. And what they've done is they've done the BBLR, the Broad and Base Lower Rates, uh, you tax everything, you tax it at a very low rate, and then people make decisions based on business decisions or personal choices not to avoid or deal with tax issues because the tax is such a small rate you don't have to. And that's what most economists say is the ideal, BBLR, and we did it. As we said, in 1986, we ought to do it again for the new Internal Revenue Code of 2018.